This episode of the Kill by Kill podcast is brought to you in part by The Black Demon, now streaming on Redbox On Demand. Josh Lucas stars in this heart-pounding action thriller where an idyllic family vacation turns into a fight for survival when they encounter a ferocious megalodon shark that will stop at nothing to protect its territory. Stream The Black Demon instantly on Redbox today for the ultimate battle between humans and nature. The Black Demon is rated R from Paramount Pictures. Now to celebrate the release of The Black Demon, we have some free digital rental passes for you to gobble up while supplies last. Please email us at killbykillpod at gmail.com with the Black Demon in the subject line for your chance to win. And now, the body count continues. Gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right. We're talking about seven for our seventh anniversary on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal. Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from, I think this might be Sawsville, USA, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I think it's, I think this is Sawsville. It's the most Sawsville, really, that can be in the United States. It's not Sawsville, Canada, but it comes close. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we're dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. And we're going to unpack all the goriest of details of David Fincher's Seven in the hopes that a uh, victim's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes we might make at their expense. And oh my God, it's going to be hard to make these jokes. Anyways, there's only one person that I trust to tell me, you guessed it, what's in the box. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I am so excited to talk about this light comic romp with you. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about so many dreary, dark movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I we talked about The Exorcist. We we talked about the 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 first Alien movie. We talked about sure. Exorcist three, mm-hmm. and it just it's so good to finally sit back and 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 enjoy something you know really really gentle and 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 uplifting for the soul. <laughs> Something that makes you laugh as much as it makes you think, I think is the description of seven. And maybe teaches you how to love again. (laughs) It teaches you where to go in the city to find someone who will make a strap on with a knife attached to the end of it. That sort of thing. You know, you were saying that you weren't sure uh, where where this takes place. It's mm-hmm. uh, Upper Raintown, Los <laughs> Chicago, New York. That's where I that's where I've determined that this movie takes place. Yeah, I mean, they filmed it in L.A. and I can tell about half the locations of the movie, but they're desperately trying to make it seem New Yorky or Chicagoy or it's big city USA, and it's going out of the way to. Not tell us its exact locations because that way the audience can just project whatever 
weirdness they have on a specific city. It, it, it's just <laughs> wherever, wherever it is, the sun never shines. Yes. Except, at the, except at the end, ironically. Right. And it was it was filmed during one of those rare winters in, in L.A. where it just was raining all the time. It happens here. It, it happened this last year. So it's not uncommon, but uh, once because they had such a short turnaround time for this movie, Fincher's just like, fuck it. We're filming in the rain. And when we're not filming in the rain, we're going to make it rain for continuity. We'll just make rain a part of this. And so it becomes a little Blade Runner-y, which makes sense because Blade Runner, another classic L.A. location movie. So all in all, it all it, it works to the movie's benefit of being the most uncomfortable watch you can possibly get is, is the end goal here. Yeah, I... um. I saw this in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I went with uh, my then husband, and we took a what friend a of ours with us. <laughs> well, we we'd already been together by that point, so it was for a while. <laughs> so that was, wasn't one of those. Why did you take me to see this? <laughs> um, I believe that no matter how long you're with somebody, seeing seven with that other person is a why did you bring me here situation. It, it's either going to drive you apart or bring you closer together. That's you know, true. In, a, in a we are mutually traumatized. Let's let's share our pain um we took our friend um and it was one of a small handful of movies that i have you know when it was over that the audience filed out in stunned silence (laughs) just quality yeah just just you know sort of like i i need to go think about this for a little while and just consider everything um, it's it was the du jour of the time. It, it was when films uh, would be released with the end goal of freaking people out with a particular twist. It was a twisty time at the box office. And many of scripts were sold based on how they would make the reader feel at the end of it. And then uh, sometimes those movies would be made into motion pictures. Other times they just became legendary fodder. Um and seven uh, up there with the sort of sixth sense sort of thing where its twist both propelled it and held it back. Um, I saw this. I had to have been at, in Utah going to school, uh, failing out of yet another community college. And um, it, it did not make me feel happy. I very much enjoyed the ride, but it did not make me feel happy. Oh, I mean, it's a, you know, it, it, let me let me clarify. This is an excellent movie. Yeah, but it, it's nightmarish. It's mm-hmm. like when when I brought this up, you know, my my you know, not only you know, fit in you know, keeping with you know it being our seventh anniversary. I was like, well, this is a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. It was this or doing the Arnold Schwarzenegger clone drama, The Seventh Day. And I think this is the more important work. It's certainly the movie I didn't fall asleep to on a plane. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you don't want to fall asleep to 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 this movie. No, Mm-mm. it's not going to broadcast good ideas into your 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 ear holes. To where you, know, your brain lives. You, you basically wake up kind of clutching at your fat rolls, trying to make sure they're still there. Sure. <laughs> ah, good. Still fat. <laughs> uh, it, this is, I mean, obviously, 
probably one of the more influential movies that we've covered. Certainly we've covered quite a few. Um, the Exorcist, Friday the 13th, Halloween, uh, Alien would all be amongst uh, that crew. But Seven has that long tail that goes beyond its exact genre to be reflected in other things. And bringing up Sonsville, USA in the opening is not by accident. I do not believe there would be a saw if there were not a seven. There's just a one-to-one correlation where those two Australians looked at themselves and said, we could do something like that, but make it smaller, you know, but we like people be familiar enough with the context. Like if we put it in the dirtiest tile room possible, we'll get attention for it. Well, let, let's make let's make seven, but make the cops either either uh, evil or incompetent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, standard fare. And it should be said that I do believe one of the cops we're going to be talking about in this particular motion picture is semi-incompetent. I do believe he is not fit for this particular case and it is brought up over and over and over again by the other cop and everyone else is like, what are you going to do? It's Sevensville and he's (laughs) they got to put him out there, man. Someone's got to catch this killer and it's got to be this baby who can't tie his own tie and he looks like, weirdly, three children with the hottest at the very top in a trench coat. <laughs> Hot babies. Not the hottest, only the hottest babies for this new line production. Um, I had forgotten until this movie began the device that's built into the script that, that uh, Detective Somerset is going to retire in seven days. And then I started to research some of the backstory behind the film. And I learned that Warner Brothers was very concerned that people might confuse this film and Lethal Weapon. And that is not something that has happened before or since for anyone other than that one executive. Yeah, I, I, did they, they, you know, don't put any sax rips every time, uh, Detective Somerset mentions he's about to retire. Oh my God. This, I mean, someone, please, who has the ability to make supercuts, make a lethal weapon style trailer out of seven because that's, that has not been exploited yet. That's just good to go for comedy. Uh, I don't have the time or the technology, but someone else could do it and then just, you know, tag us somewhere. <laughs> We're fine with the mere mention. Um, so, yeah, this is a, It's both tough and exhilarating. It's beautifully shot. It's gorgeous to look at. It is so immaculately uh, set dressed and the production behind it all is incredible. Uh, It's very purpose driven. There's not a lot of fat on the bone here. If it's slowed down, it's to give characters moments to breathe and for us to understand who they are. And if it's going quickly, it's not just empty thrills. There's a lot of tension behind what is happening. Yeah, um, there's there's not a there's not a loose thread here. Like everything everything that happens makes a sort of sickening sort of sense. Yes. 
Uh, and I, you know, it just goes to show, uh, in my belief, that like if they had given Fincher the opportunity to make an alien film that he wanted to make, it probably would have been an infinitely better Alien 3 than we got. Not that I'm really complaining about Alien 3 necessarily, but it's not to say that he had a great time doing it. I mean, he finished the movie and said, I never want to make another movie again. So that was how great that experience was for him. But then he gets this script and is like, okay, this is a movie I would make because it is dire and I can shoot the fuck out of it. And uh, most of the characters don't have names. Well, it's inter- it's really interesting because, it, as I say, it to me, I know there's you know one of the you know, interminable ongoing debates in in among horror fans is if movies like this and Sounds of the Lambs and all could can be classified as horror. This mm-hmm. is structured very much like a horror movie. Yeah. It, it's that you know you you've got it's got jump scares. It's it's got uh, probably possibly one of the best jump scares of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um yeah that was probably the only time in 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 the theater that people reacted with sound to something that was happening rather than rather than shocked silence. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you you've got a a very monstrous killer, uh, you know, and that's before even realizing you know, who this person was played by and, and the <laughs> sort of ironic twist that comes in that. Yes. Uh you know, you you've got it just, you know, you've got the bleak ending of a horror movie. Yeah. And uh, the structure of a death every, you know, so often you, right. you're expecting another dead body. The, you to know, show he, up. you know, there's, there's a very, you know, Hannibal Lecter-esque, you know, elaborate tableaus to how these, these, uh, these, these bodies are discovered. And the beauty of horror as a genre unto itself is that it's a bit of a philofax. It's very expandable. You can fit all sorts of other genres inside of it. A whodunit, uh, a, a Western, a, a coming of age story. It can be all those things and a horror movie. And this is a horror procedural. That, that's just what it is. As much as uh, Silence of the Lambs is because its ability to horrify and shock is still there. And its ultimate goal is to unnerve you. And while not every horror film is, of course, built on, did it scare me? It, this is one of those that has more to do with an unrelenting mood and just absolutely dire circumstances. <laughs> and a the what would you do scenario? What would you do in this person's place scenario that it ends with? I think that's what qualifies it as a horror movie proper, uh, despite its other trappings. It's absolutely a horror movie. Right. And then you've got the, we're, yeah, we're skipping ahead to the ending, um, mm-hmm. but uh, you've got the bleakness of no choice that has made the situation is the right choice. Yes. Uh, yeah. It, it's one of those thinkers, um, you know, uh, in the, lead up to us starting this podcast we both had uh experiences with horror movies that were somewhat reawakened our love of the genre uh and and certainly 
um, those movies that leave you haunted somewhat, I, I think really is a, a specific thing that only horror can really do for the most part. Certainly there are dramas that put you in that place, but horror is just built for the final shock, the final uh, defiling of your soul, as it were, uh, to disturb you. Um, and, uh, you know, comedies are not built to disturb necessarily. No, I mean, unless you're talking about something like Freddie Got Fingered or whatever. Sure, yeah. Where it just sort of, it's, it's you know, that's what's disturbing is as you know, repugnant. <laughs> it's existence uh, just shames God. And you wonder <laughs> how... How can that big man with the beard in the clouds possibly exist if this does? Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the movie proper. It opens with Detective Somerset being called into a domestic homicide. Uh, there's a dead man on the floor with his head blown off. Uh, guess what? That is the film's screenwriter, Andrew Kevin Walker. Um, Walker wrote this movie uh, when he moved from Philly to New York City <laughs> and his sheltered ass just couldn't handle it. Uh, to quote him, it's true that if I hadn't lived in New York City, I probably wouldn't have written Seven. I think it's that way for anything. It's the right time and the right mood, the right inspiration, whatever that inspiration is. That's what's so scary about writing. Um, this movie has a lot of themes to it that have been bandied about over the years. Certainly in the lead up to its filming, many of the people who read the script uh, referred to it by uh, one word, and that is evil. <laughs> and um, while it explores evil, the end result to me does not come off as evil put on celluloid no i mean it, it is you know it is it involves a character who does very evil things yes and you know you could certainly say that that evil has triumphed in the end but you know the whole message of you know the the world is a good place and worth fighting for i believe the second part i mean to me that's that's you know that's the ultimate in 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 good prevailing in the end Right. And that, you know, Somerset is, of course, devastated by, you know, what has happened to his partner and, you know, his partner's wife, who he had learned he'd grown to like himself, mm -hmm. the, you know, but he's still going to keep keeping on because that's all you can do. Yes. Uh, and he can't be pulled out of it. There's some component of him that just while he artificially at the beginning says, I can't go on doing this he realizes at the end he might be the only person sit, you know, who is suited to continue on doing this. And he does not give up his post, which is an in interesting sort of, I don't know, that one century at the gate of hell or whatever that is so prevalent in modern media. Uh, he will continue to do the thing that he can't tolerate so that others might live oblivious to the evil in this world. But I, I also don't get the feeling like this is a pro evil piece of dogma. In no, some no, way no, no, no. I mean, the way people talked about it, that's the way they thought because, about it. You know, evil, evil won because sometimes evil does win. And 
the unrelenting, how do you continue on in a society that allows death and destruction and horrendous things to happen? While many a Hollywood movie tends to aim you towards the sunnier side of the street, at some point, you just simply have to confront what, you know, happens in this world where we have school shootings uh, and mass shootings uh, at numbers that are just insane to me. And yet the world blithely pushes on as if, well, this is the price you pay. And I, for one, do not believe that that price is worth paying. I, I just feel that something has to come off the other end of this fucking ledger already. Fincher's one of my favorite filmmakers. Uh, Zodiac, and another you yeah. know, movie I would say verges on a, a horror movie, certainly a suspense thriller. Um, yes. It's got certain elements of Seven, but you know, with probably not as much overt gruesomeness. Mm-hmm. But you know, Fincher, you know, I, I think he's he has a very realistic approach to to life and all its little horrors. You know, that these terrible things happen, and but there are people in the world who keep some sort of righteous balance in, in, in you know, doing what they can to, to, to mitigate the damage of these horrible things. Right. And, and, you know, I, so yeah, I, I appreciate that. Uh, it's, it's a singular piece of work. And I'm so glad that, you know, this worked to the degree it did because this is essentially the, the blank check movie that after this, he's pretty much allowed to do almost anything he really wants to do to some degree uh, for an extended period of time. And he's just one of the few directors. um, Well, I wouldn't say one of the few that's really putting too much on him. What I enjoy about Fincher is that you can always tell it's a Fincher film. It doesn't feel like a put on, what he does it feels very intentional and that this is the way he views cinema and uh that is a comfort in a way uh, that um he directs your eye he tells you where to look and for how long and he's genuinely right most of the time of what you need to see and what you do not need to see right like when you have that opening credit sequence which is basically uh, the character we will eventually come to know as John Doe, basically creating this incredibly elaborate scrapbook. Mm-hmm. You're basically descending into hell, right? Yeah, you've got and- the, you've got this like creepy remix of Closer, and and uh, it's just okay. Where this is, I'm already feeling une- uneasy, and the movie hasn't even started yet. Yeah. I mean, Fincher, one of the the last practitioners of the opening credit sequence, and he often displays what the power of that opening credit sequence can be. He's just really good at saying, no, 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 no. Right up front, you got to tell people what they're going to fucking watch. And you just it's all been pushed to the back and I won't like back in my day about this, but I do feel it's a missed opportunity in many respects to not throw those credits up front and really get people into a specific mood. So they understand 
what's going to come after that. I understand it's hard and everything, but uh, I think it's worth the effort. And certainly something like this, which came late in the game in terms of the film's development, it was not ever described like that in a script or anything like that. Uh, this was developed late in the game um, and was so successful. It, elements of it were transposed into the trailer. It just very much sets the mood. <laughs> and you can't, I was hoping that I would be able to see more of it because it, uh, it's such a high resolution uh, viewing experience that you can see of it right now. But a lot of the, the details are just obscured on purpose. All you <gasps> need to know is, these are the ramblings of a person who cannot talk to anybody else about this. He can only write them down in the smallest, craziest handwriting possible. Well, you've also got you've got that and you 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 know sandwiching you you the movie is that you have the the end credit sequence, which are run backwards. Right. <laughs> it's just yeah. like it's just such a oddly unsettling touch. Yeah, it, it's all the the vast majority of choices are meant to unnerve. And as a result, like it's a very singular motion picture experience. Like its purpose is being driven home at every opportunity. Um, and I feel like a lot of the times when you get someone behind the lens and they're like, I'm going to make something important out of this it comes across as self-important. And while I feel Fincher in every frame of this, I also don't feel like the movie is about David Fincher and his cool visual ideas in any way, shape, or form. No, I and, I, think, and, and, and I don't think he is necessarily trying to say something specific about the state of the world. Right, no. It's it's an unnerving, an unrelenting pre-millennial dread that uh, is not unique to this motion picture necessarily you can see threads of it in a lot of other things the sixth sense would be one of them the x-files would be another example of it the the ussr you know crumbled and people sought an enemy and i think there were certain factions within this country that without that one big external enemy to always throw their hatred on they immediately wheeled around and said, oh, no, 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 no. There are certain factions within this country we definitely need to aim our guns at next. And that results in a lot of media where people are like, oh, my God, is all this coming to an end? It feels like it's coming to an end. Um just not as immediately as they might have thought. I was going to say, and it is, but, you know, yeah. it took a little longer. <laughs> so there was somebody off screen going, stretch, stretch. <laughs> we, we, you wait till you get to 2015, 2016. Wait till you see what we got in store. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this movie would have landed. Even, I mean, and, and it did very well. In the, yes. In, in oh, the my God. Office. It did insanely uh, well. But I think it would actually have done even better if it had been released sometime within the past decade. Yeah. Um, it was made for around $33 million and it ended up making 330 some odd million dollars worldwide. So a good hundred percent, uh, increase, uh, on your investment and launched a sub. I feel like this probably got made in the aftermath of, of, um, of lambs and saying, okay, like 
The movie audience is into this sort of thing. We can find a way to do it. And so Walker writing a script that involved a serial killer, not a huge leap, lots of media about that. Everyone's kind of looking for that thing. But because Lames, you know, earns that Oscar, there's an undercurrent of not only can you make a movie out of something like this, but it's important. And I think Fitcher, right. So for now, now it's a, now it's a, now they're prestige movies. Yes, now it's a prestige film. It's not just a B picture. And this film is very classily made. It's incredible to look at, but it never comes across as someone going, "This is my Oscar bait." By no, no, no. Imagination, but the the performances are as real as anything you'll find in Silence. Well, it's important to point out two things here that really make this movie so effective. And e- even even watching it today is this came out in 1996. Yeah. Um, and now Internet, the Internet you know, was a thing by then. I don't know if I was active on it by that point. If I was, it was a very nascent time. Um, but. And you certainly you had bulletin boards discussing movies. I think the IMDb was already around at that point. But this movie, you didn't you went in not knowing a lot about it, other other right. than it was a murder mystery starring Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, who yeah. at the time was just starting his oh wait, this guy actually can act phase of his acting right. career. Whereas before he had been just a you know, you know, you know, hunky pretty baby. Yes. Yeah, but this was the same year he had done Twelve Monkeys, uh, and and you know he actually wanted to to act instead yeah. of stand around and look good, and he turned out to be you know rather surprisingly good at it. Yes. Um, but you had you know the the twist on who was playing uh, John Doe that was a secret all the way until it was until release if that was now it would have been it, it would have been spoiled like months yes. before because people because people now on the internet because they have to be the first to have the scoop they 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 can't leave these kinds of things alone if it is hinted that a movie has some sort of special surprise or easter egg or or whatever you want to call it or you know mystery casting they got to mm-hmm. dig and they got to dig and they got to dig and they got to they got to try to find clues and they have to speculate over who it might be or you know what the big twist in it might be and the fun is ruined in it yeah you know whereas here you know the fact that it was so well hidden and also the fact that Kevin Spacey at the uh, time uh, wait, wait, hold on unjailed sexual abuse before we knew anything about him other than he was you know you a a, actor who specialized ironically and play you know creepy fellows Mm -hmm. you know he was mostly known at that point he he just really hit it big with the usual suspects um and but you know he was not a a you know by this point brad pitt level star but he was recognizable you would have been like hey it's him yeah, I mean, he was going to be a character actor guy. He had basically done a bunch of character actor things. And so, uh, he, you know, he talked about it at some point, basically said that um, if he was third build and the entire movie is built around the two guys who are also top build searching for a murderer they can't find, everyone's going to know it's him. Yeah, it was his, it was, I believe it was, act, I believe it was his idea to go uncredited. Yeah. And um, 
I thank him for that every day because then I, I don't really have to credit him with anything. Uh, I mean, I mean it, ha- it has to be said, he's mm-hmm. very good in this movie. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it pains me to say so. And maybe it's because I go into it now knowing what I know about him. But the way his character is finally introduced is so chillingly effective Mm-hmm. That, you know, I, I don't know if, if it's because he inadvertently or maybe not so inadvertently, I don't know, you know, he does seem like he might be a sociopath, you know, brought his real life proclivities into the performance. Yes. He reveals himself unknowingly in, in this particular performance. Um, so enough said about that, gentlemen. <laughs> Let's talk about... Um, other people, um, Brad Pitt, as you mentioned, um, he has a bunch of juice on him after Legends of the Fall and Interview with the Vampire. And he's like, hey, I'm not just a set of abs. Maybe I have more to give. And he gets this script and he's desperate to be in it. He goes, I'll do anything. I'm going to I'm going to cut some weight. I'm going to cut off my luscious locks. And I mean, he uh, still looks, he still looks amazing. You right. know, it's, a, you, know, it, you know, he, he has a kind of scrubby mustache and like, he looks like he's growing out a crew cut and it's, it, it, yeah. it's, you know, that's about it. Otherwise he looks great. He's constantly touching the top of his head. Like he hasn't been able to do it in a really long time. <laughs> um, well, you know, have you ever gotten like a, like a buzz cut? You know, like one of like, this, yeah. it feels, it's like fun to like, kind of like run your hand on it. No, it feels good. Um, and he makes it into a character quirk. Um, but it really does feel like the whole time's like, I used to have a lot of hair up here. <laughs> the way it comes across. The weirder thing is to think about who else would have played Mills if Pitt hadn't pitched himself so hard at New Line and brought Fincher into the mix. Because up until that point, New Line was like, uh, we want this to be, we need someone who's played a detective before that people will be comfortable with. And they went after Sylvester Stallone. Oh my God. Can you imagine <laughs> Sylvester Stallone in this motion When did picture? Sylvester, well, I guess Nighthawks. I mean, when, when, when else yes. has he played a, a, a detective? Uh, Cobra, a little oh, thing called Cobra. Well, yeah, uh, they were basing their casting decision on Cobra. He had a gun with a Cobra on it. <laughs> then when he stuck it in his pants, it made it seem like it was the top of his little penis. Was he gonna? Was um, he gonna like you know cut some pizza with scissors? Well, you know his wife like you know, looks at him with a worried frown. Imagine um, seeing imagine seeing Sylvester Stallone and twenty five year old Gwyneth Paltrow playing husband uh, and wife. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's I mean, a I whole thought the whole point was that Mills is supposed to be, you know, young and green. Yes. Yes. It's like they look, it's like they didn't even read the script. They just whenever went after whoever was hot. Like the other person was Denzel Washington. And, and they both turned still it down. probably a little, still a little old for the role, but, but, you know, certainly a, would have been a better fit than, than Sylvester think, goddamn Stallone. Oh yeah. No, no, a hundred percent. At least Denzel Washington, a real true actual actor and probably would have found a way to do it, but he I mean, couldn't have, <laughs> he never comes across as openly uh, stupid. Uh, There's an inherent intelligence behind Denzel Washington that I don't think he's ever been I, able I, to play I, off as dumb. I, I'm just picturing Swiss Stallone doing the whole what's in the box scene at the end. I can't. <laughs> I, I can't. I was in the box. 
What's in the bag? What's in the bag? Um, yeah. Uh, no. I mean, this movie becomes something entirely different and something incredibly stupid. It's a real tightrope walk. If you don't have the right people in place and they're not playing what is on paper, I don't think it works. You need somebody to be on, uh, on you know, Brad Pitt's particular level at that moment in time in order for this to work. And you need Morgan Freeman at his most wise sage like level in order for that to work. Because I don't know the other people they had in, in mind for Somerset was Walker wrote it with uh, William Hurt in mind. Eh, All right. Yeah. I, I, my um, opinion of William Hurt is, uh, not good. Well, uh, I mean, again, again, reasons. you're bringing, and I'm not saying that you're wrong to do so, but but you know, you're kind of you're projecting what you know about him, you know, in real yes. life onto the, this character, which right. I, I get that, I understand. Yeah. Um, and then other people who turn who flatly turned down the role: Robert Duvall, Gene Hackman, who I think could have played it, yeah, and Al Pacino, which no, I mean Al Pacino. <laughs> was doing those kinds of roles in his sleep at that point. Right. And that's the thing. I don't think you want somebody who can do it in their sleep. I think you need somebody who's wide awake about what this movie is. Yeah. You, like, uh, you know, Somers, uh, Somerset is, he's not cynical. He's not jaded. He's just tired. Yeah. But, but he, I mean, he, he absolutely loves the searching for clues aspect of this job. You know, he, he loves the, himself. he loves the research. I actually yeah. find the scene where he's just researching, uh, uh, about, about the seven deadly sins and, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and paradise lost and Dante's Inferno and all that. That's almost relaxing to me because he just, he's absolutely, you know, he's, he's, unbothered in his lane moisturized you know he, this is this is his this is his element this is what he loves about this job true um yeah that's uh, la central library um if you ever want to go it's gorgeous and it's beautifully photographed here it looks like batman lives there uh, I, you know, I, I love that the security guards are you know, bringing them in after hours or putting on its favorite classical music. I mean, I yeah. just, I, I just, I honestly love this. Scene. I think it says so much about this character is that he doesn't hate police work. He loves police work. He's yes. just tired. Yes. And he's tired of seeing what he has to see in order to do police work. Right. Is, is the big, you know, he's, he's just has, he's seen too many things. Um, and the other element here, because we're pre-saw, is that um, by not naming the city, there you just allow the audience to project whatever they want to on the screen. And there's a constant din in almost every scene, with the exception of the library, uh, to a great degree. Where you're which, which, is, which makes sense, because that is the only place where he finds peace. Exactly. Uh, everywhere else, you're constantly hearing 
uh, you know, voices and garbage trucks and rain. And of course, well, you, you have the scene with the, the, uh, with Mills and his wife, Tracy, who's, uh, uh, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. You mm-hmm. have their little scrubby apartment, which is, you know, literally shakes like an earthquake every time the elevated train goes by. Right. And, you know, she's kind of doing this little like, Hey, you know, how it is. well, but you know, everybody has had a shitty apartment in an unfortunate location and thinks so, so I can't live like this much longer. And, and, and like, I mean, my first apartment, we, the dumpster was, we were on the third floor, but the dumpster serving the entire building was right below us. And in the summertime, we we're like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> like, no air conditioning. It, it's like, oh, yeah. you know, and again, that, that is, you know, when you're young and you're hungry and you're broke, you know, you, you put up with these things, but, you know, you could tell that she's like, you know, some sweet little suburban girl who did not quite know what she was getting into when, you know, she married someone who wanted to be a big city detective. Yeah. You know, she expected that, you know, maybe they'd live in the suburbs or that, you know, he'd be home for dinner every night. You know, and, and you know, that doesn't make her a bad or naive person. You know, it just means maybe they came into this with different expectations. You know, she wants to have a baby. She's already having a baby, but she's afraid to tell him because he's already jaded about the world as it is. And, and, you know, probably is not in a mindset where he feels ready to bring children in the world. And honestly, who can blame him? He just wants to roll around on the ground covered in in shit, covered newspapers with his talks. (laughs) And, um, yeah, that's who he is deep down. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of very important character work built into every aspect we see of Mills. Um, one of them being in that apartment scene when he goes, I'm going to get another beer. What What do you want? Somerset goes, oh, um, wine, actually. And he comes back with this tall tumbler of wine nearly filled to the top of wine and the look that somerset gives it is like oh jesus <laughs> I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble like, i'm gonna have to do all the things yeah, he, he's very he he he's a greenhorns he's he's very naive but but doesn't think that he is mm-hmm. oh no he thinks he's real fucking smart and he's instinctive and that's a kind of smart. But this movie goes out of its way to really ascribe very distinct personality traits to Somerset and Mills. Somerset is learned. Somerset understands there's a depth to this crime he, he you do not see every day. That it is not just a one-off. That whoever's getting involved in this is going to continue and continue to do more and more disturbing things. And he doesn't want to end this way it's just it's it's going to end badly and he does not want to be on that train and arlie ermy who had originally auditioned to play john doe i might add Ooh. and ends up playing police captain no name just police captain um gives an uh an interesting on arlie ermy performance with the exception of one long a series of orders that he gives before a raid. He's primarily speaking in very low hushed tones, which is 
off-putting for Marley Ermey. I want to hear him shout at people. <laughs> uh, speaking about speaking of the uh, police station, one mm-hmm. little touch that I love, and there, this is one of those movies where there's a lot of shit happening in the background. Oh yeah, and and I I'm pretty sure a lot of it is is it's not necessarily weird or wrong but mm-hmm. it definitely exists to to make you feel you know, off-centered a bit and this bit i don't know that it's that necessarily it's it's more symbolic in that as as we you know we know that somerset is in the you know the, the waning days of his uh of his you know, his job at the police department mm-hmm. they are already scraping the letters off of his office door right. Yeah. And and it's like, you know, okay, you it, everything's just going to keep going without you. Yeah. And and that's that's jarring to think about, you know, that that if I leave this place, nothing really is going to change. They're just there's, you know, a a you, you the space that I left is just going to be filled in with another body soon. <laughs> and the, probably the truest statement ever said out loud on this podcast, Gina, is that after us, another body will simply occupy where we were. Yeah, I mean that's, that's true of everything. It's you yeah. know, it's like when you when you you know, you know when we were you know young and dumb and we broke up with somebody. You know, we thought that you know, oh they'll never find another they'll never find anybody to replace me. It's like no, they'll find somebody to replace you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm highly replacing. You know, it's to like, this day. You know, it, it's it, it's you know it's it's kind of a bleak thought, but it's you know that's true of everything. You know, I mean. Yeah. Um, in terms of the um, symbolism inherent to this motion picture, has anyone posited, and I'm sure this has happened somewhere online, but I'm just going to say it because it occurred to me. Has anyone ever posited that the entirety of this motion picture beyond the uh, pre-credit sequence is actually Somerset's dream? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. He goes to sleep and then the movie happens. It, yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? He just, just It's just his hell dream. Yeah, it's his. <laughs> is that he wakes up and like and like Mills is actually the janitor or something? Like that. <laughs> right, exactly. And you were there, and you were there, and there's a skeleton just waking up in the background, and you were there. And John and John Doe is like, oh, he's like a, you know, he's wearing a, he's wearing a beret for some reason, and like, <laughs> and then you 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 kill Mills's wife and cut her head off. Absurd. <laughs> Uh, yet another student body. I was gonna reference. say we are. I I will call it with absolute confidence that we are the only podcast that has ever referenced seven and student bodies at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> truly, two films that share a, a central DNA in that they were shot on celluloid, exposed to twenty four frames per second. Uh, and that's the beginning and end of their comedy. Imagine if, like in seven, like it just showed like a, a number number ticking off. <laughs> well, it does have, doesn't it have like 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 countdown of like like days or something? It, oh, no, it has like yes. days of the week. Yes, it, it does. Yeah, it starts on Monday, um, uh, with uh, gluttony, uh, and ends on Sunday. Um, so yeah, it does. Uh, just, there you just, go. The, the kill there count doesn't they, ring they, while they, they're, people. They are interchangeable. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Mills gets the call to meet Somerset at the uh, gluttony crime scene, which takes place inside a brown hole. It's like a black hole, only it's brown. 
And I thought I would actually get a laugh. I am laughing. Um, and we learned that this, this poor man has been, had his, uh, arms, hands and, and feet wired together and he's been forced at gunpoint to eat spaghetti until a stomach bursts. And all I could think of is, oh, what a way to go. Right. I mean, right. Does if he it's get, good does, spaghetti. Does he get a little, sh- does he get a little shaky cheese on that? <laughs> please, please, Mr. Doe, will you dust my wets? <laughs> <laughs> Just ask for cheese. No, 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 no. Please dust my wet. Um, uh, thank goodness I'm making that Twitter reference before that uh, ends up belly up in the next uh, week and a half. Can't go fast enough. And honestly, so fucking. And if gone, any of the I, people involved in that could you know maybe be found you know strapped to a bed in a room filled with uh, pine tree air fresheners, I'd I'd be I'd be happy with that. Totally. You know what? We need more submarine trips down to the Titanic, and I can name several people <laughs> currently in the higher ranks of Twitter HQ that could definitely make that journey down there. Whether or not they make the journey back up, that's not for me to say. But I think the world would be better off with them feeling the ocean's inky depths in a metal tube that you can't unlock from the inside. Everything I hear about that fucking submarine, Gina, is crazier than the last thing. Today it was revealed that it, it, you could drive it using a, a video game controller. I, I, someone I, mean, I mean, I honestly hope that they're chum at this point. Uh, you know what we you know who we sound like here who we sound like john doe <laughs> that's absolutely true has this become the john doe podcast are we at the point where our our words are essentially being scrawled and tiny type across uh the many hours of our podcast over the course of seven years hey hang on a second i've been busy trying to cut my own fingerprints off here <laughs> Well, that's the thing about the podcast. There's digital fingerprints. There's metadata. There's your voice print. There's a whole lot. Of, and and every single episode, I've been naming you as one of the contributors. So that's a problem. Well, you. I mean, I can I can just because I'm wishing they turn into chum doesn't mean I'm actively turning them into chum. No, no, no. We are not in the turning billionaires to chum business. All we're doing is encouraging other people to get into that business growth. <laughs> industry anyways uh let's get back to the murder and dismemberment on display in seven so um somerset's like i don't want to do this and early ermy's like well fuck you you're doing it anyways mills is a big baby about it all open on tuesday and there's um all these headlines and all these newspapers about a lawyer being found dead Here are some of the other headlines that are on those newspapers. Neighbor Beagle scares teen. Here's eight year bout with of hiccups. Housekeeper held hostage by child's possessed gerbil. Three days of terror. I noticed this before. No, this is not something I ever is, noticed until I could actually is, zoom in on a fucking. Is there, is there, is there a child trapped in the refrigerator eats own foot? <laughs> that's, I think that's as close as it gets. Studies de- deflate breast implants to safety, and then one that I 
it has to be somebody on the cast or crew. Rose Mui experiences Costello's for first time. I don't know what that means. Yeah, see, people think that 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 uh, David Fincher's is, is movies are very humorless. He has a sense of humor. No, I think this. Yeah, I absolutely believe he is not humorless, and he is very funny in a non-traditional way. Um, but I don't believe he ever thought these are newspaper headlines that anyone else will read. And then technology was like, oh, no, no, no. There's one podcast who definitely needs to see this 4K rip of this movie. <laughs> and it was us. Unfortunately, that's as good as it gets. I, I would love to have more of that throughout this. But every detail here is so uh, finely portrayed that you just don't really have anything on this level of looseness ever again. Um, that lawyer who was killed is actually in the greed killing. Um, and I think it helps that Doe spells it out on the carpet in blood for Mills because he's not quite the detective who would have like pulled a refrigerator away from a wall because of linoleum pieces in someone's stomach and figured out the gluttony killing, for, for example. No, he's very he's very rash. He's not precise in the way that Somerset is. Yeah. And and what and ultimately, you know, one of the tragedy tragedies is is his rashness is what brings John Doe closer to his wife because yes. he he has an angry confrontation with a photographer who happens to be John Doe in disguise yeah. and, yeah. and is trying to get a picture of them so that he could figure out who he's dealing with. Yeah. To get information on them, which Somerset, you know, plainly tells Mills, like anyone can get any information with enough money. And then later in the movie uh, shows him how to do it. Uh, but we'll get to Mark Boone Jr. Um, we have to do uh, other sleazy things before we get to Mark Boone Jr. Uh, so um, Somerset, uh, spends the evening in the library. Um, and I think this uh, sets up the battle of wills between the two or their opposing mindsets, as it were, between the known and unknown. Mills is obviously believes that um, this killer will reveal themselves through mistakes or clues at the crime scene. You know, if he just stares at them long enough, it'll pop into his brain. Somerset already knows that these two murders were more than premeditated. They were constructed. You're dealing with somebody who's not being rash. You're dealing with someone who is doing this with a very distinct purpose. And to discover that purpose will unlock some knowns. Um, but he has a bad feeling about what he's about to discover. So you have Mills who believes he can, you know, see what he can see to catch a killer and, and ask Somerset at one point, You've, you've read my file. You've seen the things that I've done. And Somerset's like, no, I have not. This is not something I spend my time doing, is researching your great cases in your past. Um, I'm more, much more concerned with what's right in front of us. Um, and Somerset knows that understanding the message behind these murders will link back uh, to the person who committed them and then the other element at play here is that Somerset is doing research to assuage his own guilt for leaving. You know, if he puts the information in Mills's desk, you know, he'll have it. He won't be able to do it on his own. But this is one thing I can do. And then 
then then maybe I will feel free to walk away from it. Of course, what Somerset does not know is that Mills is having a hard time reading that material and ends up getting cliff notes. Actually, he hires another cop to do it for him. <laughs> uh, and so while they're pondering these two murders, uh, Mills's wife, Tracy, uh, asks that Somerset come over for dinner. Um, and this is a lovely scene. And I'm always, um, you know, it's, it's hard to have warm, the same warm feelings one used to have for Gwyneth Paltrow uh, when she's not knocking over people on the ski slope uh, and, and they're unsuccessful at suing her or pushing a, a gold egg up her hoo-ha. Um, and so I, I'm always warmed by her introduction to this in this film proper. Uh, when she opens the door to both of them and she goes, hello, men. It's just so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's, she's, and you know, I, I think that she and Brad Pitt were already a couple by this point. Certainly, if not, if not, they at least met while doing this. And yeah. they, they have a very you know, easy rapport with each other. I believe in them as a couple, which mm-hmm. is, which is important because it makes it all the more gut-wrenching you would think that makes the climax all the more gut wrenching. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, I, I feel like, you know, she very much loves him, but this is not at all the life she envisioned for herself. Right. Yeah. And, but, and she is, you know, absolutely trying to make the best of the situation. And, and is coming to a slow realization that there might not be a best to be made of it and feeling guilty about that. And, uh, you know, base, and she's so alone in the city that the only person she can trust with those thoughts are her husband's police partner, who she barely knows. But at least she can tell that he is a uh, considerate human being and that when she lays out, like, I can't work, I can't imagine raising children here, and yet I'm pregnant, what the hell am I going to do? And... He's he's honest to the point of being brutally honest about one what you can expect by living in the in this in Sawsville, USA. Um, and she's she's left disturbed by that conversation. It's not I think she's given information she needs to know, but I don't think she's particularly happy that she now knows it. Yeah, yeah. I mean he's very he's very straightforward with people. Uh, so we move on to Thursday uh, and not for nothing. I hate to be this one guy, but they pull up in, in front of Sloth's residence. That's the same building that the movie opens on, which again lends credit to the idea that this is all Somerset's dream because he's revisiting locations that he's only seen in real life. Uh, regardless, um, they are able to determine through fingerprints that, uh, uh, that are made behind a painting at the greed crime scene, uh, that this one individual, uh, spelled out, uh, help me, uh, behind that, that painting with his own hand. And so they rush this location, his last known address with a SWAT team led by John C. McGinley, who's, Always a welcome presence when you need someone to yell dicks. <laughs> and we we mentioned it before. I, I just, 
the impact of that guy waking up has not dampened at all. No, it's, no. It's, it's like I said, it is a classic horror movie jump scare. Yeah. Um, and so while leading up to it, you, you just, you see a body that you just can't believe is someone Played by still a be alive. real person. That is, that, right. that is not a mannequin. That is a real person. And yes, for a second there, you think, am I looking at a return of the living dead puppet? But nope, that's a person person. Um, I, I believe Fincher referred to that, that performance as creepy enough and moving on. So when you get that stamp of approval from David Fincher, you know you did something right. Um, that the way that entire crime scene is laid out, every bit of visual information makes you more wary of what you're about to see. Everyone's reaction to what they are seeing is visceral. So you know when you do get to the final reveal, it's going to be something that you're not going to like. <laughs> and then... He makes you not like it a whole lot more. Well, it's just something so particularly absurd about that scene because of you know, the like hundreds of air fresheners. Yeah. Like, like, where do you come up with an idea like that? That that that's just like it's such a mundane thing. I can't see a pine tree air fresher not think of that scene now. Right. It's it just like like it, it it's, it's visceral because you know what they'll smell like. Like, yes. like, you know, that fake pine smell with that, what that's like now, you know, now you're forced to think of that, that times a hundred over the smell of like rotting human being. Yeah. Rotting living human being on top of that. Um, I just, oh my God. And the, the more information you learn after the fact that he's been there for an entire year to that day. Just, just, just barely kept alive. Yeah. You know, alive um, and alive enough that he knows what is happening to him, which is like, oh my god, <laughs> like, like <laughs> just like, <laughs> yes, full I mean, body shudders. I uh, listen. There's not a a lot of good options in the choose your own death venture of this motion picture, no. but I promise you, Maybe like this, this will not be my my go to. Shot in the head is like the only one that's you know seems not absolutely horrific. Yes. Uh, everything else is pretty fucking dire. Um, so yeah, uh, this is, this is one of those circumstances of a scene that outlives the momentary pop culture bubble, in which it emerges and pervades, um, you know, the, the movie going public and creatives behind movie making to the point where they, they want to relive this particular film's high of this reveal um, over and over and over again. And I think you get a lot of stabs at it, but it's really hard to recreate this specific uh, formulation and magic. You know, it's just right time. And it's simple. What it comes down to with this movie is that it's, it's very, very simple. And simplicity is one of those things that's tough because there's not a lot to hide behind. There's only so much razzle-dazzle you can put on simple before it just looks like an empty artifice. And this movie really treads that line to make the, the impact of these scenes as maximalized as humanly possible. Yeah. Uh, the next day, um, 
Tracy has a very uh, depressing um, breakfast with Somerset uh, in which she says that she does not like living in Sawsville, USA, and I don't blame her. Um, and Mills's crack about the killer having a library card sparks an idea in Somerset who pays Mark Boone Jr. Uh, to dig into library records. Mark Boone Jr., of course, uh, international sleazeball. Um, we <laughs> last talked about him in 30 Days of Night. Professional, professional biker gang member. Yes. Uh, here playing, quote, greasy FBI guy. <laughs> just, I mean, you could have just said FBI guy and knowing that it's Mark Boone Jr., the greasy would be implied, but no. Um, and uh, then there's an extended chase scene, which I think is pretty well put together and has that very over-the-shoulder verite feel of being in the moment without going too shaky cam. Um, Fincher's, I feel like, really knows how to make sure that you get the impact of certain scenes without just making it be a vibration fest to make up for filmmaking, which I unfortunately takes up a great portion of the 2000s. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but this just goes to show that uh, a certain unjailed sexual assault enthusiast um, sort of made a heyday uh, for a while with killers with leg injuries because he plays one here and the, the uh, usual suspects as well. Everybody's, everybody's got to have a niche. Um, Mills gets his ass handed to him and tanks it about as well as you think he would uh, and kicks down John Doe's door and you're like, Fuck, my guy. Come on. They they try to play around with him paying some an unhoused person to state, oh, I called the police for this particular reason. But you're like, Jesus, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, and, and you know, he, he he's you know very indignant that uh that Somerset does not take him particularly seriously as a as a mm-hmm. uh as a police detective, and clearly he shows that 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 impression is is valid over and over again. Again, he's 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 rash. He's yeah. you know he's 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 temperamental. You know, he's he's not cut out for this kind of work. No, he, he is enamored with the idea of this job. It's not to say that uh, he can't do it, but there are elements that he just he wants to play cop he does not want to be a cop he wants to play a detective he's not very good at going out and detecting he wants to yeah he wants to take down the bad guys he does not want to do the actual you know investigative work which is which is the part that 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 somerset excels in do you do you think john doe is going to get his um his security deposit back on that apartment because he's made a lot of modifications. I mean, you know, he really doesn't have to worry about it by the end of the movie, but you know, I mean, like, like, you know, I, I think a, a, a savvy, uh, uh, you know, if this was today, uh, you know, the, the landlord will probably open up the tourist attraction for the folks who love the true crime. <laughs> sure. It's main for it. I mean, the Instagram snap opportunities in that apartment are, Really priceless. You put that in Vegas, you got yourself quite an attraction. 
Um, so now we're on to Saturday. Um, there's various pictures of a blonde sex worker in Doe's apartment, which, uh, and a bill, uh, which lead, uh, detective Mills and Somerset to wild bills leather, where they learn that Doe has commissioned a strap on with a knife on the end of it. And, and somebody, somebody, somebody is, said, sure, why not? <laughs> well, uh, those dollar bills spend any way you want. Uh, and he's like, I thought he was a performance artist. And it's like, I don't know. Nothing about that really seems like performance art. But also, it's so, when you see the Polaroid of it, it is rather garish. It reminds me of, uh, remember, remember Mandy? Remember the, uh, yeah. the, uh, the, the Cenobite people had, yes, had, had, Cenobite had, people. had, uh, had, you know, dick knives. Yes, they did. Can we do Mandy again? Yes. Is that okay? We could can absolutely we just, do Mandy again. Just watch Mandy again and uh, have that experience. I, I will, I will, ha- I will happily, uh, I will happily watch Mandy again. Oh my God. What a motion picture. Um, uh, it doesn't take us long to find out what that strap-on's been used for as uh, the detectives get a call uh, to the lust crime scene where we find one Leland Orser Pro- acting. Pro- Pro- professional 90s screamer Leland Orser. <laughs> Leland Orser, a man who understands that breathing in and out real fast will make you seem like you've gone through something horrible. He did a and he did a rash of 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 movies in which he is screaming. There's yes. there's this, there was uh, Alien Resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh there was a a very unpleasant movie called Very Bad Things in which he mm-hmm. he does a, a a lot of screaming in that. Um he's um a Spoiler alert, um, uh, the bad guy in the bone collector. Um, Does he scream a lot I, in that? Uh, he, you can tell he's been hired to be international creepy man in that one. <laughs> um, and, you know, have tiny glasses and be very wet eyed and nearly cry when he's talking about how dire the world is, and how he needs to collect tiny bones. Um uh, that's not a good movie. <laughs> Sorry, not good. A movie obviously greenlit, you know, with Denzel Washington licking his wounds that he said no to this, but uh, mm, bad motion picture. Um, I think they ended up making a TV series out of that book series at some point. Sure. Yeah. Sure, why not? Um, so, yeah. These guys are at the end of their rope. Um, the next day, uh, Doe calls in his uh, next crime to the cops, and that is pride. Uh, Doe uh, has broken into a model's apartment and cut off her nose to spite to her face, face. <laughs> uh, leaving her with a choice either to call for help but live the rest of her life being disfigured or take a bottle of sleeping pills and she chooses the latter. Yeah. Which, which, you know, he, some of what Doe says, you know, makes a sick sort of sense. Yeah. But this year it's like, you know, uh, this made her a bad person because she didn't want to live with being, with being disfigured. 
Well, you know, no movie's perfect. And it reaches a specific point here where it's kind of hitting obvious town. I think that's kind of true with gluttony as well. It's just a little too obvious, you know. Well, it's not like, you know, I've seen people, I've seen people, you know, kind of lump John Doe in with like characters like Killmonger from, from Black Panther, where you're, where you're, where you're like, where you're like, oh, you know, he's the villain, but you know, what he says makes a lot of sense. And it's like, it's like, uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I think you need to put that back in the tumbler and see if that rock shines a different way. I'm sorry. That, that is, uh. Uh, asinine uh, in every way, shape, and form. Yes, we can all uh, look at the world and 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 think to ourselves, this could all be improved. Um, I don't think fuck killing a sex worker is going to. He didn't do it himself. So. He made other guys yeah. do it. <laughs> well, yeah. It's like, well, now you're just being a pussy about it. <laughs> Well, he learned he learned that Leland or- Orser's in town. He goes, I like what he does. I think I can push him to the point where it really comes off, you know, uh, really interesting on camera. And, uh, you know, who can blame him for it? Uh, whereas this is just kind of like, uh-huh, okay, mm, all right. Um, and, you know, Mills and Somerset are kind of at the end of their rope here. They, they know kind of who this person is, but they don't know where they are. And that's the exact moment he decides to wander into a police station and say, I give up everybody. Yeah. Again, this, this putting aside all, you know, real life issues one may have about Kevin Spacey. This is such a, a, a well done. Because again, when audience was in, went into this, they had no idea who was playing this character. Exactly. Like none. Like it, 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 and people respected at the. I mean, I don't mean to sound like back in my day, but but right. people respected the twist. You, you and I think there were fewer ways to ruin. Right. It I mean, you know, like, and a lot of people were like, you know, who's Kevin Spacey? Because like, like, you know, he he wasn't like a huge name at this point. Yeah. Um, like you knew who he was on site because he had a very distinctive look, but but yeah, you know, but so it was you know, a shock when he just like, you know, just yells out detective and like, you know, he turns himself in in a really spectacular manner. You know, he comes across as super creepy. It's very, very effective. Well, it's the only, it's, it's also the only time he ever yells. Like right. he, he, you, you know, you know, the rest of the time he's very calm. He's very yeah. soft spoken, you know, which is always to me like, like, you know, way more unsettling than somebody you, you, you screaming and ranting. And it's in, I think you need an actor of a certain caliber to carry off what is the last 20 minutes of this film, which is a, a one act play in a police car for the most part. Right. He's, he's monologuing at them and, and, yes. you know, and, and you, you know, Somerset is listening and you could tell Somerset's thinking there's some bullshit happening here. Like we're like, we're being mm-hmm. like, even before they even get to this, this lot where he claims that there's another, you know, where they'll find another crime scene, hint, hint, wink, wink. You know, you could tell he's like, mm, I think we're riding into something bad here. And, and Mills, Mills keeps cutting him off and interrupting him and insulting him. And like, and, and he's like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. You're crazy. Shut the fuck up. And, and, you know, like not listening to him when, when basically, you know, 
John Doe is you know, very slowly and methodically announcing this is not over yet. You know, yeah. you 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 think, you know, you've assumed that I'm going to take you to find someone who's already dead. I didn't say that. And, yeah, and I, you know, and, and I said I would take you to a crime. Scene. I said I would take you to a crime scene. I didn't say there was a body already there. And I mm-hmm. think Somerset has caught that. And Mills has not because Mills doesn't pay attention. No, no, he can't pay attention to anything. The delivery scene does evoke something that I think. What did he pay this delivery guy to show up at this very specific spot <laughs> um, with a head in a box? It's also uh, interesting I, that we never, we never, do we ever actually find out where he, you know, get, comes into all this money? I mean, he must have a fortune that he's sitting on yes. that he paid this, you know, now, I mean, granted, you know, uh, uh, Sloth's, you know, apartment is a, is a fucking hovel. But, you know, we was still probably paying hundreds of dollars in rent every month for it. Well, he's, pay, he's paying multiple rents. And he's, yeah, because, you know, this is all a, a long setup. So, yeah. you know, but, but you know, where's he, where does he get the funding for all this? I don't know. Well, Arlie Ermey says that what we know about him is that he's independently wealthy and highly educated. It's like, well, he's the kind of highly educated that is like, I've done my own research. Right. He's not, I don't know that he's supposed to be like, he's a college educated so much as he's read a lot of books. Yeah. Um, and so um, uh, Somerset obviously uh, cuts open the box to discover what's inside, which is Tracy's hand. We don't uh, see it. It's the only. It's the, it, I love that it is the only time that the camera kind of refrains. Like yeah. everything else is gruesome. It, it like you just you see it and the shots. Like oh, well, I I sorry, I stand corrected. I don't think they ever actually show the 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 woman who was fucked to death. That might have been like yeah. that might have been a little bit beyond the pale, or or, or at least they you know, wouldn't have been able to get. They would have gotten an NC seventeen rating for it. Yeah. But it is very almost like, you know, this is too much. We can't show the audience this. Yeah. No. Um, And that was one of the conditions of them getting to film this ending was that they you could not show what was in the box. Um, which I think you get more out of oh, absolutely. It than you do like, like, yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Like, I mean, it, everything you need to know is in, is in Somerset's reaction. Yeah. Um, is there anything else we haven't talked about that you absolutely need to get off your chest and scrawl? I mean, that, in tiny type. that ending is it. Mm, chef's kiss. It, it is magnificent. It, it is, it is haunting. Yeah. Probably the, the most frightening line any movie character has ever uttered, you know, by my, but by my uh, estimation is John Doe saying, I already told you. And, <laughs> and to me, it's like, and he barely, like you barely hear him. And, and, and it's just, it's, it's chilling. It's, yeah. it's, it's an excellent, you know, very frightening, very unsettling movie that I think about a lot. Yeah. Well, I think I I think about a lot of Fincher's work a lot. Um, he has a, the ability to crawl into your psyche. He understands to a degree his goals with cinema and is rather uncompromising in in that direction. And um, while I don't want to pigeonhole him, I do think he has a skill when it comes to the thriller, when it comes to the he, the horror procedural. Uh, yeah. When, 
that, yeah, I um, like like as as I mentioned earlier, Zodiac is probably one of my favorite movies, and and yes, I I I am you know, again haunted by the the uh, the 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 scene at the at the lake. It's mm-hmm. it's it's terrifying. I mean, it, it's terrifying yeah. because it's realistic. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, and see now it's flashing through my head. Um, we should cover Zodiac. I we think that's one of those we would le- legitimately split into two, though. I, I think there's just too much movie. I mean, I could talk about it for hours. It is it is a yeah. personal favorite. All right, stay tuned next season, y'all. Zodiac coming your way. Um, that uh, that just about does it. But before we go, of course, we have to choose our own. Oh venture. God, dude, must we? And then, yeah, that's where we just listen. It's our seventh anniversary. We we need to be you know upfront here. We need to decide of the many deaths portrayed in this motion picture. If we were forced to die in one of those ways, which one would we choose and why? Uh, gluttony, um, be force fed spaghetti. <laughs> with little scraps of the linoleum inside or um, we have what's next up to bat. We have um, that's not Yeah. That's like cutting, cutting off a pound of flesh and no more, no less and weighing it out uh, and then bleeding out as a result. Um, and then next we have sloth. You chain to a, a bed for a year that's a hard pass i'll tell you that one right up front uh and then we have lust um which you would be fucked to death with a knife strap on um that's another hard pass we have brought uh pride uh have your nose cut off and be given the option to either save yourself or suck down sleeping pills um you're going to take the sleeping pills that's just the preordained element of this or you are envy in which you're going to have your head cut off and put into a box. And presumably other, presumably other terrible things happening. I mean, he kind of hints that whatever he did, it took a while. Yes. Yes. He tried, he quote unquote, tried to play husband. Which means which, like, he probably mm, raped her. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's what's up for bid. No, 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 no. You're not, you're not, you're not taking the option of getting shot in the head away from me. No, no, I said wrath. Oh, okay. That's true. You did. I mean, you know, shot in the head is a coward's way out. I mean, of of the, you know, if if you want me to choose from the actual, the actual uh, other deaths, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, getting my nose cut off ain't great. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at least I die in peace. That's right. Sleeping pills is the way to go. In comparison to everything else, I'm going sleeping pills. Um, you know, the the nose being taken off, um, whether or not I might want to live that way um, afterwards is out of my hands. I mean, I'm not a professional model, so I'd be all right. I am. And <laughs> I choose sleeping pills. <laughs> my God, you're uh, so you're so superficial. Um, we want, before we go any further, we want to thank everybody for, um, your constant, um, enjoyment seven of the show years. for talking back to us seven years I can't believe uh, it. that we've been doing this. Uh, it's incredible. Um, mind numbing, um, hard to believe, even harder to take for my wife. And, um, <laughs> and yet I really enjoy doing it. I really enjoy hearing back from you all, um, and what you like, what you don't like, um, and we can't thank you enough for your support 
um, over these years because uh, we don't have any support from any other uh, source. No There's one no loves website or magazine or no one network. loves us. <laughs> uh, who do love us are our listeners, and that's really most important to us. Yes, we 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 are so thrilled to hear from you all. Yes. Uh, Gina, um, before we go, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on these here internet? I write about television and movies at thespool.net. Uh, I have a Substack. It's called Gina Watches Things. Um, substack.com. Uh, in the still waning days of Twitter, because I just can't bring myself to break this horrific addiction, I am still there under Gina does things. And if you are on blue sky, uh, I just started there. Not, not super active yet, but I'm also under Gina does things there. Um, where I'm also on blue sky as well. Obviously, um, I can't wait to leave Twitter. It someone take this out of my hands. Um, I'm, uh, blue sky seems, um, right now to be very, very nice, but of course you can reach out to us on Facebook and on Instagram, uh, even on TikTok, not that I'm doing anything. If someone wants to take over the TikTok, please let me know. Uh, I'm a lovely TikTok consumer. I don't want to make TikToks. I just do not. I, I don't have the time. I don't have the capacity. And I certainly, for a model, don't have the face. Um, I'm a hand model by nature. <laughs> uh, so there's that. Um, don't worry, folks. The body count will continue for at least another season, baby. We're ramping up season four, but season five is is fast approaching. We have fun things coming your way, including a replacement episode for one of our earlier that had to be taken out of circulation for more um, jerk-related reasons, but we'll get to that. You'll, you'll know all about it very, very soon for myself and for Gina. Bye-bye and thank you, everyone. Thank you. We love you. Kisses. Bye. Bye.